Welcome. I'm Lauren Rosen, licensed marriage and family therapist. And I'm Kelly Frankie, licensed marriage and family therapist. And this is Purely OCD. Kelly and I are OCD specialists who happen to also be in recovery from OCD ourselves. Each week we meet to talk about all things OCD, one topic at a time. You may notice we try to bring a little levity and humor to our discussion around this deeply painful disorder, as this has been a very powerful tool for our own recovery as well as our clients. If you'd care to join us, we record live on Mondays at 12.30 p.m. Pacific time on YouTube. We generally answer a few questions from our live viewers related to whatever topic we're covering that week. And if there's a topic you'd like covered, you can also submit a request on our website, purelyocd.com. And if you do find this podcast helpful, please leave us a review so we can gain more visibility to reach more people like yourself and help spread awareness of what it's like to live with OCD. Quick reminder, this is not intended as therapy or as a replacement for therapy. This is for educational purposes only. So without further ado, here is this week's episode. Welcome to part three of our discussion on health anxiety and health OCD, which as we've established are kind of, for the most part, one and the same, Yep. or at least interchangeable, right? Like that there's enough overlap mm-hmm. um, and that the, the delineation is pretty arbitrary anyway. So, well, and treatment's the same, which is kind of where we're going with this talk today is talking about exposures for that. Exactly. So, um, and just as a reminder, we will have uh, Dr. Josh Batalnik and uh, Michael Steer. I think that's how you pronounce his last name. I mean, he's a friend of mine. I should probably know how to pronounce his last name. You are no longer a friend of his. Ooh, I'm sorry. (laughs) You're no longer a friend of mine (laughs) because you don't know how to say the last name. Um, I'm pretty sure I was saying Ben Eckstein's last name wrong for a while. Anyway, I digress. Okay. They will be joining us. In They're going to be here. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they wrote a book, as a matter of fact, on the topic of health anxiety. Um, and the book is called The Complete Guide to Overcoming Health Anxiety, How to Live Life to the Fullest Because You're Not Dead Yet. <laughs> um, which it's, it's really... I love that. It's, it's a great, yeah, no, it's, it's a great read. And I, what I really appreciate, they, they incorporate, I mean, I'm about, I don't know, halfway through it. Uh, they can incorporate a ton of humor, as you can imagine, given the title. Um, yes. And you know how we feel about the inclusion of humor in the recovery process. We feel Absolutely. very positively about it. So, um, so yeah, I would highly recommend you check that out if, uh, if you have been watching this and you need further support in the realm of health anxiety. Yeah. And then maybe you can bring some questions about the book or anything related to the topic in two weeks. So exactly. We look forward to that. But here we are in the meantime, let's not Mm -hmm. get ahead of ourselves Mm -hmm. Um, to talk with you a little bit about the recovery process from our point of view. So where, where shall we begin? Well, I think we could talk about some common exposures that we would assign somebody suffering with health anxiety. Yep. And for anyone who is new here, exposure and response prevention is the gold standard treatment for OCD. It's part of cognitive behavioral therapy, the B part of CBT. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And yeah, so that's generally, we'll be talking about that. And we'll probably also throw in some acceptance and commitment therapy, because that's also an evidence-based protocol for supporting people with OCD. Um, so yeah, exposures, let's talk exposures. Um, when you're helping somebody through health, anxiety, health, OCD, maybe we take a specific topic sure. that it might land on yeah. and, and go from there. Right. So it might be, uh, what if <clears throat> I get COVID and I get sick and die or I accidentally or unintentionally murder my family over it? Right. Because I infect them. Because I infect them. Yep. Um, yeah. Okay. So... so well, which one do we want to do? Because I think that uh, what, interestingly enough, both. right? Like those are yeah. two different. Let's do both. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. So yeah, I don't let's know. do it. Let's do that. So yeah. Um, so looking at the compulsions is super helpful first. Right. Cause that's going to inform the response prevention part yes. of, of therapy. Also looking at avoidance in particular tells us where to head toward <laughs> in order to evoke some anxiety in this process. So you were saying though, with the, the compulsions. Yeah. So somebody who has a fear of contracting COVID or any other sickness, right? Like a cold, the flu, whatever, yep. um, or really anything, right? right. <laughs> Is that, I mean, we could interchangeably say like cancer, you know, yep. know we really could. Although I don't know if the secondary part of like, I don't think it would be very common to say, oh, I'm going to give somebody cancer, but right. it's not impossible. It certainly comes up, but I through yourself, agree. right? Yes. Like I've certainly yeah. had thoughts of like, oh, I'm using lead or I've heated my food up in, in plastic and I've given it to my child and now and I've given her cancer. Obviously. But I mean, even some of the stuff with the emotional contamination, right? Like it's obviously not an emotion, but they're, uh, for those who are unfamiliar, this idea of like, if I touch somebody, I'm going to like give them a personality trait of mine, or I'm going to absorb one of their personality traits, right? It's very uh, based in magical thinking that we, I could very easily see that happening with somebody mm -hmm. who has health related concerns as well. Like I'm not going to touch somebody because they have cancer, right? Mm -hmm. um, even though it doesn't make sense. And even though the person probably can rationally say, yeah, like that doesn't, that is a highly unlikely to, to come to pass, but it's still possible. And I'm not willing to take that risk. Yes. And that's actually, that piece is actually much more common. I think where it's the reverse is I'm going to take on, like, if the fear is, what if I get AIDS, somebody might be avoiding some, well, we can get into that later. Let's rewind. So, okay. We're off the rails. Yeah. To the original, <laughs> which is what if I can track this? <clears throat> so that person might be avoiding you know, like, I'm not going to go in public. Um, I'm not going to go anywhere where there's a possibility that there's like a higher infection rate. So they might avoid the hospital, mm. even though they have to go to the doctor. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, they may walk the stairs instead of getting in an elevator. They might... Um, wash their hands excessively or shower or light their clothes on fire when they get home, right? Like there's all kinds of, 
I mean, yeah. I've never seen someone light their clothes on fire, but they treat oh, it I mean, as if it's – you can – they throw it away sometimes. That's the reality. Away, or there's a whole undressing ritual in mm-hmm. a laundry room um, or in the garage. I've certainly seen that where it's like I'm not – Very elaborate. House. Yeah. Very elaborate. Very elaborate to try to make sure that there isn't the ability for, for contamination. Absolutely. That's, yeah. That's common. So then we'd go, okay, where do we want to start in this <laughs> – you know, this chain of behaviors. So um, we might first ask them if they're willing to uh, maybe not take their clothes off and come into the house. Mm. Yep. Yep. Wait, wait a minute, take their clothes off, right? Like we can do it gradual. We can do it where it's like, all right, let's just rip the bandaid and just go into our house. Right. Right. Um, so there's, there's all of these different ways of helping based on willingness, I think is what you're saying. Mm -hmm. And I, and yeah, and that's a great thing because everybody comes to the table with different degrees of willingness, right? Right. Somebody is like, no, that's too scary. I'm not willing to start there. Then we can start with, okay, you're just going to leave the clothes on for a little bit longer, or maybe, um, you put them the clothes straight into the wash, but you don't start the wash right away or, yeah. what, you know, whatever it is, it's just wholly dependent on what's most frightening to somebody. And that's, I think where we say so often that you know, this isn't therapy, right? It's not a replacement for therapy because everybody is so different and what's going to be triggering or not to an individual um, is, is going to vary pretty drastically, even if they have the exact same concern. Right. Um, We could do cross-contamination. So it might be touching an item that to this other, you know, contaminated item. Mm -hmm. Like, let's say like we touch our iPhone to the pair of pants that you think may have X on it, whether it be cancer, AIDS, COVID, the cold, whatever. Yep. That we then use that phone that's now contaminated onto the couch or something that's a a cleaner, what someone would consider clean in their mind. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, We we could also, in terms of, uh, because oftentimes I just wanted to go back to the the clothes thing. Um, Oftentimes there'll be a combination of stripping down, getting rid of the clothes and then showering, right? Mm -hmm. So we could say, okay, we're going to limit the amount of time that you shower or we're not going to shower or, you know, we're going to rinse off, but not use soap, right? Yeah. Again, we're going to delay the shower. Yeah. Yeah. All those things. Yep. Yeah. So, um, again, these are just so, there's so many variations of this depending on the person. I think COVID is a little bit different in that, Mm. you know, like cancer, it's kind of like a dice. You're throwing the dice. We don't really know. Right. COVID is kind of like, the you know, it's like, it's, we don't, we can't, if you're near it, it's likely you would get it. We don't have certainty because I've certainly been around people who have it and I don't get it. But I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure the numbers would say that it's likely you will get it or if you're in close contact. Right. And I think that it's... Hmm. Yeah, the the potential consequences at this stage and where COVID is, it seems like it's probably, you know, like it's 
more likely to contract, but the likelihood of it becoming a serious problem now, like not, it's not zero. Um, but yeah, that it's more likely to get COVID than cancer is what I'm saying. But I am right. And I'm saying that once you contract, right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. Well, right. And so I think that's the part I was going to talk about is that I think it's different in that it depends on that person's immune system and their response, right? Like a lot of times clients will be like, well, I don't know what's going to happen. Or what if I do have high blood pressure and I, I am a at risk person. Right. And I don't even know it yet. But <clears throat> you, you said the phrase that's the most important thing, right? Like, right. which is, I don't know. <laughs> right. Like we don't, cause we don't know. We don't yeah. Know. We, we don't know. So it's like, how do you want to live your life? Cause COVID's not going away. The flu isn't going away. Colds and aren't going away. Sadly, cancer also and, is not and going cancer. away. Right. Like, and I, I mean, I, I get that what we're talking about is the fact that like one is much more, you're more likely to contract uh, COVID or a cold or the flu or whatever right. in the course of your daily life. But also we could see on the other extreme that like, there are a lot of carcinogens in our environment. And so some people would avoid going out or being in like, you know, you, in California, we have these prop, prop 65 warnings, I think. Yeah. Uh, they're everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. You basically walk into a building in California. It's like, you could get cancer by walking into this building is essentially or right. they have known carcinogens here. And it's like, the, the reality is that uh, this is kind of what it all goes back to that there is, mm-hmm so much lost in not being willing to live your life in a way that exposes you potentially to these things. Right. Um, so <clears throat> I mean, right. did I take to, up off the rail? No, that's okay. That's exactly it. I, I think I'm bringing that up because this is what clients bring to the table and that they definitely want to rationalize through it being different or more important in any variation of OCD, but I think we often do see it in this realm yeah. um, where it's like, well, but that person does have it. And it's like, well, I mean, are you at risk? Is this an infant? Uh, are, like, obviously we want to reduce our risk. And we're talking about people that are, they have OCD. This is their main obsession. They are avoiding their life entirely. There are things we can do to try to limit exposure because nobody wants to get sick. That's the reality. Totally. I don't I I I live with a child who goes to school and I'm sick continuously. It's just yeah. an ongoing thing. And so if somebody's like, "Oh, I had the flu or I had strep." I'm like, "No. <laughs> You're like, please yeah. don't. Please get away from me." But it's not but it's not like in my mind. I don't then go home and think about it, right? So it's yes, right. lo- logically we don't want to like jump into a, a vat of sickness like on purpose. No. Right. We don't, we don't even You're not, do I, When was the last time you jumped but, into a vat? But anyway. I feel like I do at school <laughs> all the time. But, um, <clears throat> but the point is, is that like, okay, what's within reason, yeah. right? What's within reason. And I think this comes back to the one and done rule of what 
And when, what that means is like going to the doctor once, right? And then whatever they say, that's what we go with. And that's not necessarily with this, with what I'm talking about with a cold or a flu. Yeah. But it's saying, okay, what's within reason? Well, maybe we wash our hands when we get home after we've been outside all day and touching the ground with our kids and um, working out at the gym, but that it's like a quick rinse. We're not sitting there ritualizing over it. Yes. I hope that makes sense. It does absolutely make sense. And I think just to summarize that what we're talking about here is that like the response prevention, watching the the amount of of time that's that's given to safety behaviors or compulsions, whichever you want to call them, like the behaviors that you do to try and protect yourself and keep yourself safe, mm-hmm. that we want to make sure that those are reasonable and not overtaking your life because there's no there's no amount of protection of yourself that will stop you from getting anything. Right. Right. Like eventually, you know, and whether that's because, you know, your, your loved ones aren't going to stop living their lives or because, you know, you go and grab a piece of mail or what, whatever the thing is, right. Like eventually you, you can't, you can't have 100% certainty that you're not going to get sick without completely giving up your life. And even so you're not going to have hundred percent certainty is I think yeah. where I'm, what I'm getting at as well. And like then recapping what you, yeah. You know, <clears throat> and in fact, it's said. more harmful, right? Well, because then you're not exposing yourself to anything. Right. And then when you do go back out into the world, you do get very, very sick. Right. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I I think that that's uh, the most important piece of this is that like nobody in exposure and response prevention is saying like do things that are going to like put you at severe risk, right? If somebody uh, is like, well, I don't, I I would want to quit smoking because it's bad for my health and be like, yeah, that's probably not a bad idea, right? I don't think anyone's going to like argue that point. Yeah. it's more at like, oh, well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go and, um, I'm not going to go near to a, like a cell phone tower where, you know, like my, my friend is over there, but like, I think that that's too close to the cell phone tower. So I'm not going to go stand by my friend. Right. Like, Mm -hmm that kind of thing, something that really prevents you from living your life. And where if you look at it rationally, it's like, what's the risk here? Yeah. Like not going to the doctor or the hospital if you have like a broken leg. Exactly. Okay. But you're obviously not okay and you need to see a doctor and okay. So maybe you do get that, but chances are that the, the risk to reward here is, um, Yes, definitely. We need to consider. (laughs) Exactly. That's, that's the main thing when we talk about what exposures we do and what response prevention we do. And somebody asked about therapy. Yeah. Therapy. Wow. Brain. Hey, welcome. Yeah. yeah. Um, somebody asked about, um, if you are anxious about your family or friends health. And I think we may have mentioned this in a past episode, but yeah, that, uh, Generally speaking, it's the same. Yeah. So that's the good news uh, is that like the work that we're doing is bring up anxiety on purpose and then practice not doing anything about the presence of the anxiety so that you learn that you can can deal with it. 
in a yeah. way that, you know, that doesn't overtake your life. Um, so, okay. So exposures could, we, we talked about like the response prevention piece of it. If you have a fear, like what if I get COVID and spread it to my family or I die or they die. But if we're talking about the exposure piece, right? Like we're, we're talking about you maybe going out and being around more people. And yeah, again, that's going to totally depend on your circumstances, right? If somebody is a higher risk and, or they, you know, have immune issues and they can't be vaccinated or whatever that, um, you, you might wear a mask and that's not, I think that that's another important, important piece too. Is like, nothing is an absolutely compulsive, right? Like no behavior is like, well, that's off limits. That's a compulsion, right? Right. And that's what I was talking about. Like the hand washing is like, okay, well, if you've been outside all day playing, I mean, like yesterday I was with my child all day. We're at the, the, the playground. We were at lunch. Like we were, our hands are like dirty. Yes. We're going to wash them. Yes. It's a good plan. Generally. Yeah. Yes. Good plan. Yeah. Um, but however, for sake of exposure with clients, I certainly have done this where I have touched a bunch of stuff and then we've eaten together. So, yes. um, that's, that's an example, but yes. ongoing, I think the plan is not doing that every single time. Right. Right. But the idea is that to help you like understand. Like an overcorrection. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, but mostly, and I think you and I would both agree on this, that the work that we do these days is more about functional yes. support. And so it's like, okay, yeah, if you want to wash your hands, one's fine. Not right. a big deal. Like right. that's that most people would do that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's where we get into the excessive stuff. I mean, again, all the same. Um, so, but going to a party, for instance, that's again, if you're in a position where it's like, yeah, but I am at higher risk, maybe you go to an outdoor party instead of an indoor party, right? Like where maybe you wear a mask and and what have you. Um, And some, for some people going to the doctor, maybe the exposure, right? Some people uh, there, there's the care seeking and care avoidant types with this. So it's like, oh, I haven't gone to the doctor in five years because I'm really anxious about what they're going to say. It's like, okay, well, the exposure then is to go to the doctor. And the response prevention is that while you're waiting for the results from that doctor's office visit, that you're not going to ruminate all day, every day or Google or whatever to try and figure out what could happen and what you know, what you don't know. Right. Right. And if we're talking, I mean, not to switch gears, but we're going to switch gears is that, um, if somebody's worried about cancer or HIV, they may go to mini specialists. They may be testing themselves over and over and over and over and over. Right. They might, you know, go to many different, uh, experts, if you will, to get Mm -hmm. feedback and get second and third opinions, um, even though it's been repeated that this is not a non-issue. Right. Right. So that's where we have that rule of like, okay, we're going to do a one and done. Right. <laughs> by, by and large. And again, not to like, but this is the nuance of it is that sometimes we do get second opinions, right? Like, yeah. And if it's a pretty large health concern that you're dealing with, like there, most of, I think most people would say like, oh, if you have cancer and somebody says like, you need to have something 
cut out of you, like it's, it makes sense to sometimes get a second opinion, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. There's no doubt. There's, it's not so black and white, which is why this isn't therapy. Yeah. This is just a, a wide uh, blanket we're throwing on this stuff. So yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of nuance in all of the, the recovery process. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's always good to keep in mind what we're after. And that's where I think ACT can be so valuable here is like, okay, well, what what kind of person do you want to be? What kind of life do you want to live? And then also your goals and, and your priorities. So if you're like, oh, I'm not spending time with my kid because my kid is in school and I don't want to get sick, you know? Like, okay, yeah. well then... What, what, what do you want to do to serve the kind of life you want to lead? And how is, how is your anxiety getting in the way of that? And how can we support you in doing something different? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that can be our guiding light in all of this is like that can actually help build more helpful exposures even. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, mm-hmm. and, and ones that you're genuinely motivated to go after. I think I am it's we've talked about this before, but the the sort of sense that exposure and response prevention is um, like fear factor. Right. I think it, it gets a bad rap and that's not what exposure and response prevention is. Like you don't mm-hmm. have to just like do scary things for the sake of doing scary things. Right? You can you do scary things because they matter to you. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Um, like a broken leg, go to the doctor. <laughs> just do it. And the yeah. words of Nike. Just do it. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, so somebody was saying, uh, GERD is giving me anxiety. Can you help me? And again, we can't give you direct advice on here, but I, I think uh, understanding that GERD, it could be about which... Uh, I think it's gastroesophageal reflux disorder. Disorder, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's reflux. It's, uh, yeah, it's acid reflux. make it simple. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, it's, uh, you know, if you've had it, I've I've had it. Um, it's, right. it's very unpleasant. Um, I, like, it's a long time ago, but, um, and my husband has it. Um, so, but I think that we could just as easily say, like, I don't know, the potential for getting chicken pox gives me anxiety or, you know, and so the, the same, the same stuff generally applies regardless of the disorder. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, if, if you're having anxiety about your health and you're worried about contracting something or you're worried about a symptom coming on, Right. The idea is, can you make space for the fact that, you know, something might happen? You might have a symptom. You might have an experience because the reality is we cannot stop that from happening. Right. We can do things to mitigate it, but we, we can't stop it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think GERD, we could look at it almost like... I don't know what they're asking, so I'm not speaking to them specifically. So, you know, like, it's such a broad question, but I'm looking at it in terms of 
um, somebody who has like a food allergy. Like this is pretend they have been diagnosed with this. This is a thing. They have food allergy as well. Like these are all things that would fit in that category is like people can become very obsessive about, okay, well, I can't have acidic food. That could, I can't have spicy food that could activate. I can't drink that could activate it. Um, or with food allergies, it's like, well, I, I know that that food is associated with this food, so I'm not going to do that or right. Like it just goes on and on and on. Right. And then it becomes so, so unraveled and so twisted up that that person is, even though they know logically there isn't anything in there, they might like scrutinize every single ingredient and they might ask every single person if they were, you know, made food, for example, for dinner, they'd be like, yeah. what's in this? Or like, so this can get very, very big. Out of control fast. quickly. Yep. Yeah. And again, totally makes sense. If you have a peanut allergy to ask if it was made in a factory with peanuts, right? Like, well, that's- right. But that's an, ex- that's, there's EpiPens too, right? Like, I mean, right. Absolutely. So I'm saying. But I'm saying once. A, right. Right. Like to exactly. ask once because the reality is we can't be 100% sure that somehow I read something yesterday. Gosh, I don't even know. Maybe I was listening. I was listening to this book by this guy who wrote another book called like the brief history of everything or something, or Mm -hmm. a a short history of everything Mm. Um, about a, a person who had an allergic reaction to peanuts because somebody, they were on a flight and somebody rose away, opened a bag of peanuts, right? Like, what are you going to do? Like, yeah. the, the, my point being that like stuff happens. Yeah. And I actually wasn't really referring to people who have like a, an extreme allergic reaction right. where their throat closes up, and no. they <laughs> but there are people and I've certainly treated them um, yeah. around this anxiety where they've been diagnosed with maybe a mild allergy and they spend and a very much an excessive amount of time. And they're worried about exactly what we talked about earlier. Like, did my clothes touch it? And now can I wear it into the house? And what if somebody in the house has an allergy? So it just, it grows exponentially, exponentially. It does. Yeah. Yeah. Intense. So the bottom line is this, if, if you're working on the recovery process, I think like, cause I know we're about at the time, maybe wrapping things up that like recognizing where you're going above and beyond what is reasonable, given that you want to live a full life. Yeah. You know, if you are spending a ton of time trying to ensure that you're not sick and, and especially doing things that like, aren't going to actually, can I go on a quick? Yeah. Uh, cause I was talking to somebody about this specific thing recently. It's like, especially with health anxiety, going on a rabbit hole on the internet, trying to figure things out. Like this is not like the answer about your health doesn't exist on Google. No, it just opens a whole nother file in your brain about all the other things it could be. Right. Right. And so and then we're can... going to have to do exposures around that. <laughs> yeah, you're going to have to read about them. You're going to have to read about more stuff. <laughs> yeah. um, no, but I, I think that recognizing too, that there are plenty of occasions in which the, the compulsions are not 
even realistically tied to the, and that's part of the diagnostic criteria. It's like either not tied in a realistic way to the, the concern or it's excessive. And I think that understanding where it's like, if I'm going to spend hours ruminating or going like, or looking on the internet, like those things will not do even touch your health. And I think yeah. we maybe talked about it last time as well. Some, so I won't go on, but, but the bottom line is that like, if you're, you're engaging in behaviors to try to keep yourself from having illness or missing an illness or what have you that are excessive and, and interfering with your life, then we want to start pulling back on those behaviors. And we want to start going toward the things that matter to you. And if along the way to the things that matter to you, you happen to run into things that are scary, we also want you to just face those and, yeah. and be willing to be with them. Very well said. Well, that's it in a nutshell, OCD treatment. <laughs> that's it. That's mm -hmm. it. Easier said than done, but yeah. Um, well, thank you all for joining. Do you have any other thoughts, Kel, before we no, wrap? You did, you did great. That's it. Thanks. Um, so we will have doctors Patalnik and Michael Steersteyer. We're not sure on um, in two weeks time. We look forward to mm -hmm. seeing you all then. As always, feel free to email with re uh, requests. Um, you can go to our website. There's a contact us button and TTFN. Yeah. Okay. Good all to right. see you. Good to see you. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us. Just as a reminder, this podcast is not therapy, nor is it intended as a replacement for therapy. If you need further support, we encourage you to seek treatment with a registered professional who specializes in OCD. If you have a moment, we'd love to hear what you think. Feel free to leave us any feedback by reviewing us on your podcast app of choice. You can find past episodes on our website at purelyocd.com. Remember, this podcast is for you, so please let us know what you would like to hear. We want to make our message as helpful as it can be. We hope you will join us in the future as we continue our discussion on all things OCD. OCD.